Welcome to the Leading Below the Surface podcast, where we get beyond the book and into our day-to-day lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Leading Below the Surface podcast. I'm LaTanya Wilkins, your host, and today we are joined by Adam Smigo, who is our producer, and we're also joined by a special guest. And today's guest, I'm, I know I say this about every guest, but I'm, I'm really excited about this guest because we actually met on LinkedIn and I came across her profile as I was just searching for some new people to connect with. And at the meet, immediately when I saw her profile, I was like, oh, yes, this is, we're definitely going to be aligned. We're definitely going to jive together. So the person to get today that I'm talking about, and many of you may have heard about her, is Farah Harris. And so Farah Harris is really has a really interesting background. She's a psychotherapist and workplace belonging and well-being expert dedicated to disrupting unhealthy work environments. I love that. Dedicated to disrupting unhealthy work environments. I had to read that again. She's the founder and CEO of Working Well Daily. It's a company that approaches workplace belonging and well-being from a psychosocial and emotional intelligence lens. Farah has helped many individuals and Fortune 500 companies develop healthier workplaces where employees want to stay and thrive because their leaders and teams have grown in empathy, self-awareness, social awareness, and cultural awareness. So for those of you that are below the surface leaders, you're already ready to get this started. So I'm not, with no further delay, let's welcome Farah. Hey, <laughs> happy to be hey. here. Yeah, this we're really excited to have you. We have so much to talk about. And I, I want to just start off and for the folks at the Institute for Collective Wellbeing, if you're listening, Farah talks about all the stuff that that we talked about, uh, and that's kind of integrating and in, in understanding the intersection of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and well-being, which is so important. And I think just so many folks miss it. So I'm really excited to talk about that today. So one thing I'll mention before we start the conversation is Farah wrote a book called The Color of Emotional Intelligence, and it's a really great book. I, I want to recommend it. We're going to get into the story, a little bit, the story behind it. But before we do that, Farah, I, I, I went ahead and, and introduced you, but tell us a little bit more about your background. What did I miss? Uh, a lot. <laughs> um, I, I like to share my story because I want to give people permission to shift because there's a lot of shifts in my story. So started off uh heading to college thinking i was going to be the real life claire huxtable like i wanted to be a corporate attorney i was like i'm going to be fabulous and it's going to be great uh took my first law class and was like hell to the no this is not for me i'm not going to do this um and got my degree in economics 9 11 happened it was difficult to find work i wanted to pivot uh i'm a creative person um i used to draw I was very artistic and i said well let me try my hand in fashion design so then i went into fashion design school and my left brain was like we need something else and so shifted my degree into marketing it was like this is great got my first job in a consulting firm and then got laid off and my husband was like we can't have this happen again. Like, just slow down. 
and figure out what it is that you want to do. And I felt led to go into the mental health field. And Latanya, I promise you, the minute that I started my grad program, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I this this is it. And um, but even getting into that program, I thought I was going to be like marriage and family. You know, I was going to work with couples. Again, I had a hell to the nose moment <laughs> when I had my first couple um, because I really wanted to get into the individual stories. Like, why was it that people were showing up the way that they were showing up? Um, and to all my couples therapists out there, you understand that their client is the relationship and not necessarily the individual people. And I said, okay, we're going to just do individual work. But I believe there's more work beyond the couch, you know. So with my corporate background, my husband in corporate, my clients that were coming in were professional um, uh, employees who were having stress and issues related to work. And even what I was just noticing in this country, the United, yet to be United States, um, we don't do work well, you know, um, at all. We 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 are very unkind very inhumane and in how we do things like policies around bereavement are very shocking. Um, the fact that we don't have healthy uh, uh, parental leave, um, all the things, you know, the burnout, the stress, the hustle, the micro, like all of the things. And so I was like, I think we need to talk about mental health in the workplace uh, because we spend so much of our times at work. Why aren't we working well, which is how, I came up with the name of the company that we're going to figure out how to work well daily um, so that our life and our work can truly be aligned and that we're being and doing and living our best selves. So we moved around a lot <laughs> in terms of, of academics and, and uh, work experience, but all of that, um, you know, I feel like God is like the chief recycler, like all of it is used now. So my marketing background definitely helps with social media. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, my artistic background, love playing with Canva. So all of those things uh, come into play. But um, it was really just my heart to get to help individuals, which is really a ripple effect, right? You know, the minute you work with one person and they become the best version of themselves or a better version of themselves, it spills out to their other relationships and the work that they do. So that is why I do what I do. Yeah. So you have a very unique background in that you kind of started off as a psychotherapist and then you, you started applying that to the workplace. And as you said, we don't treat each other very well here. So maybe talk a little bit about what you learned from psychotherapy that you now apply to the workplace. And I think this will be specifically helpful for folks that listen to this podcast that work in business and may go to therapy or tell people to go to therapy. But what are some of those transferable skills that you you got from psychotherapy? Yeah. Okay. Well, I always say people come with their stuff. They They don't leave it somewhere. So, all of their cultural background, lived experiences, their identities, their personal traumas, their successes, all of that comes with them wherever they go in personal and professional relationships. So to um, assume that you're getting a person who has left their stuff at the door 
to quote unquote, just make the donuts, you know, and, and, and just do the work um, is, is not very thoughtful. <laughs> um, and, and I say, especially for leaders, it's not just that your people come in with their, their stuff. You also come in with your stuff. So your view of work um, and your work ethic and your style, that all comes from your own personal narrative. So if you're a type of leader who may or may not recognize that you micromanage because of anxiety, because of living in a household that was very unpredictable, um, then you're going to miss why you're showing up the way that you're showing up. And so we have to think and consider the fact that our individual stories shape not just who we are, but how we show up. That is, yeah, that's so interesting because it's, so what would you say to a manager, like, let's go back to the donut example. Mm -hmm. like you're making the donuts. What would you say to a manager that says, it's really none of my business, like what his issues are or their issues are? Yeah. You don't need to be their therapist. Like you don't need to know all the details, but you do need to recognize what's going to impact their, their work. You're going to recognize what's going to impact their um, availability and ability to like collaborate. So for example, um, you know, I'm Gen X. So I'm like in that middle generation where I do have kids, but then I have aging parents, you know, thankfully they're, you know, spry <laughs> and are able to do whatever they, you know, want to do. Um, but there are some who are struggling right now because they have parents who have onset dementia or Alzheimer's or some kind of a disability. Do you not think that's weighing on them? If they're staying up at night, they're trying to figure out how to financially afford any medical care or whatever, or they have a family member a partner, a child who has cancer, that's not going to be left at the door. So that's part of their current story. But if they're, um, I'm thinking about a, a friend of mine who in the middle of a meeting, her leader slams her fist on the table. This friend of mine comes from a household of um, violence and abuse between her father and her mom. And so she's like, my first reaction is to get up and run and, and to hide. And I had to keep it together, but I wanted to cry in that moment because it triggered, you know, my, my survival response, which is usually to, you know, to flee. Um, these are the things that we need to consider. She didn't need her leader at the time to go, oh, I didn't know that your dad was physically abusive. And so when I raised my voice and slammed my fist that that triggered you. I know we're going to get into the conversation of emotional intelligence, but that is a moment where as a leader, you have to recognize why are you showing up this way? Why is, why is the way that you express frustration or anger be, be, is, is violent in presentation? And to recognize how could that be received and landed on those who are at the table with you. So that's what I'm talking about. It's not necessarily go into the stories, but to recognize that our behaviors and our actions and how we show emotion or receive emotions for others impacts our day to day. It impacts our performance because if I'm now doing something that causes my colleague or my team member to be in survival mode, they're not going to be clear headed. They're not going to be effective. They're not going to perform at their peak because they're using so much energy just to try to figure out a way to regulate themselves. Yeah, that's great. You know, as a coach, 
it's, yeah, this is really helpful because people are always asking coaches, how do I bring this up? How do I bring this up? And it's you're right. It's not really even about the story. It's about recognizing how someone's responding to you and connecting to that. So my next question, this is taking us into the direction of the book, but how would you define emotional intelligence? So just quick background on me. I have an MBA. So, and I've done, I, I'm, I'm a coach and I coach on EQI. There's an EQI 2.0 uh, assessment. And I've always, I've always had issues with the way emotional intelligence sometimes is defined as when it comes to someone like me mm. and how that's kind of been used as a weapon. I think it's a very useful concept, but for me, I do feel like it's been weaponized to to kind of uh, derail my career or to mm. you know punish me or in performance discussions and and it's usually kind of used in like it's kind of like uh, executive executive presence is similar right people don't really know what that is and so they use it as more of a weapon and they say oh you don't have this but then do you even know what it is and how do I get it so how do you so what would be um, what would, what's your definition of this. I like to, though I'm, I can be very gregarious, I like things to be succinct <laughs> in certain mo um, you know, circumstances, especially when you're trying to define concepts. And to me, simply, it's being able to really know yourself and to be able to read the room. So are you aware of who you are? And do you know how to pay attention to the individuals who you're sharing space with? So does that mean not bringing the important parts of yourself to the room. And no, I'm putting on the spot now. Yeah. Cause yeah. this is okay. No, that's a great question. It's, it's being able to know yourself enough and regulate yourself enough that when you come into the room and something is coming up, um, you can still be authentic and honor whatever you're experiencing but knowing the time and place, aka to be smart, to communicate, to express, et cetera. So an example would be you get some exciting news. I want to share it with Latanya, like this is so dope. I walk into your office and you're crying. Is that really the time for me to go like, girl, stop your crying? Let me tell you about what's going on. It's now the opportunity to go like, oh, let me be curious. Let me ask a question. What's going on? What are the tears about? You may have just found out that you were laid off. You may have just found out um, a, a bad report on health, whatever. I, it's not that I'm not happy about this exciting news anymore. I just have to make sure that is this the time to really be shifting the narrative or the, the energy of the room to what it is that I want to talk about? Or can I make space for the, the needs of this other person? Yes, yes, that is exactly. I love that. I love that. And for those of you listening, I'm sure this resonates with you as well, because I'm sure some of you have also experienced, you know, what I call the dominant standard. And sometimes EQ, again, it's like executive presence. You always, that's always the conversation you dread is when you're being coached on these things. Because I've had clients where, you know, they emotional intelligence was conflated with don't be yourself or, you know, leave, leave those undesirable parts of yourself at home or those parts that don't fit in with the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. of, you know, for example, if, if someone's, again, from an entirely different culture or, 
you know, someone's of a different race, someone's of a different orientation, like not bringing those parts of yourself or being emotionally intelligent, intelligent to know when to, <laughs> to express that and when to not. Yeah. And, and I know that's not exactly what it is. And I, I know you, you talk about in your book, and this is why I liked your book, you talk about how people of color, they have to have extra intelligence, which was so interesting. And so it's so wonderful to hear that. And it's so wonderful to hear, especially for people that are coming up now, um, maybe in college or, you know, future leaders or studying um, to be a, a leader in the workplace, because now they know that that's what this actually is. Yeah. And, and, and not just people of color, you know, I try to highlight anyone who's been systemically marginalized or other, right? right? So, and, and there's so many intersectionalities to our identities, but when you are kind of the only or the few, without even realizing you've had to study the dominant environment, is it safe? Is it okay? You know? And so, if I'm walking to a room and I'm the only woman and it's all men, what is coming up for me? What emotions are coming up for me? Do I feel safe? Or do I feel like um, I don't want them to uh, feel a certain way, feel insecure or what have you? So maybe I may play up my femininity. Or do I feel like I want to show that I'm just as quote unquote dominant as them? So do I lower my voice? Do I stand differently than I would normally stand? Am I wearing my power suit? You know, I'm just thinking about like the 80s and why women had to have these like shoulder pads and everything was to, you know, to match the the energy of men. These are the things that are going on when you are not part of the dominant group. You're constantly thinking, what am I having to do to assimilate, to be safe? And that's that heightened, you know, social awareness piece. It's this heightened um, level of smartness or intelligence to go, here's what this dominant culture does. This is how they move. Uh, for me to be safe in this, in this circle, in this space, I may have to move in the same way. And maybe it's authentic to you, but oftentimes it's not. And that's where, you know, part of the argument that I have in my book is we've been using it as a survival tool, our emotional intelligence, instead of an essential tool for our well-being. Um, and I'm so glad that you also highlighted this whole executive presence crap um, and what's professional, quote, unquote. Um, and I know that the pushback that, you know, I have uh, been receiving. It was like, oh, well, people in leadership roles or people who are making these decisions have high emotional intelligence. And I beg to differ that they've weaponized and have been manipulative um, in how they've used the phrase, as you've said, or or, or the concept. Um, but if we really look at it in black and white, it's completely not emotional, high emotional intelligence. It's very much low emotional intelligence because if you have to manipulate someone, then there's a lot of uh, dysregulation and lack of empathy that is happening, which is completely contrary to a person with high EQ. Yeah, I love that example about walking into a room and also this applying to any marginalized group. And I'm thinking, like, for example, if you're like the only queer person in the room, it's the emotional intelligence is not not coming out. It's thinking of the right time to come out and what to say, right? It's not, and again, I think um, it's often conflated where it's like, oh, well, like I was even talking to a client recently and they were like, 
well, one of one of my teammates is uh, non-binary and they were wondering when they should talk about their pronouns or when they should correct the client. And again, I think it's emotional intelligence, hmm. but leave it up to the person, but let them figure out when and how to say it with their with their manager, right? And mm-hmm. it's uh, again, I think it's been like, don't do it at all. That's the emotional intelligence, but it's it's when and how to say it. So excellence. Yeah. Anything yeah. else to add on this before we well, talk about the book? Yeah. Something you just said that popped something in my mind about um, it, it's funny how <laughs> emotional intelligence is being taught in a way that removes emotions which makes no sense like so it's like you know right. that you're you're emotionless um or you know you're just always cool calm and collected and and that's not the case it's it's not that you go into neutral it's that you know how to identify the emotions and regulate them well but it's right. not a ignoring of feelings it's not mm. a dismissing a belittling um, or disassociating from emotions. It's being able to go, ah, anger, this is what I'm feeling, disappointment, excitement, frustration, anxiety, fear, whatever that emotion is, and go, where? what, what does that mean? Where is it coming from? How do I regulate it? Um, because we don't all r- regulate our feelings in the same way, or are even aware um, of the story that's even behind those emotions. Right. And it may not be comfortable to do that. And I think that's one of the things we have to understand is emotional intelligence doesn't equal comfort, right? It's not necessarily, it might not be make us the happiest to have to do that in that situation. It's like, you know, having deeper mm-hmm. relationships, like if, for those of you that have, you know, deep friendships, or maybe you have a spouse or a partner, um, just, you know, it's not always comfortable in those situations to not say what you want to say in that moment, but you have to figure out how to say it and when to say it, which then it goes love, much, much further. Yeah. So. I love that you said that because part of one of the domains of emotional intelligence is relationship management, right? And having the competency to manage conflict well and af- effectively communicate. So similar to the question that you asked earlier about like the connection between EQ and, and, and therapy, I know that people are giving me a permission, giving me the permission and paying me <laughs> to make them uncomfortable. Because to process strong emotions, to process trauma, to process difficult times does not feel good, but you know you have to because on the other side, it's better. And so I love that you said that to have high EQ doesn't mean comfort. It, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It's, it's sometimes having those difficult conversations, but knowing when and how to have those conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, folks, hopefully you're out, you're taking notes. You got your pen out. You know how I how I do. I always tell everybody to have that out. Um, write down a few things. But so we're gonna move before we move the tips. Uh, I'd love to hear if you have any funny stories that you could share regarding emotional intelligence and maybe a lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two two come to mind. One, I think of um, a, a client years ago. Um, who I'm going to try to be careful because, you know, I want to go deep. Um, so the, 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 the light part of it was that she was quick to reply all <laughs> when, when emails would come. So she would read something and be like, I cannot believe that they asked for this and that. And 
on more than one occasion, her frustration from whatever was read wasn't even directed to her. It was like to somebody else. And so here she was replying all um, and, and, and unfortunately, like making herself look bad because she just didn't take a moment to like, hey, did you stop? Practice the pause, regroup, step away from the computer, come back, reread it so that you can actually see that they weren't even talking to you. <laughs> so we had to process her um, being very reactive you know, in our in our therapy sessions. But part of it was because she was um, feeling underappreciated. She had been in the organization for a long time. Uh, she had been asking, you know, what do I need to do to get promoted? So these things happening in the background was part of her stories. This is back to, you know, the stuff that you bring impacts how people react. So she was highly reactive and highly sensitive because she was frustrated at what was going on in the work environment. Um, another story, I know my husband hates when I tell this, but it was, it was <laughs> our 10 year anniversary. <laughs> right, right. So it was our 10 year anniversary. And, um, you know, he planned this trip. It was all good. Uh, I'm usually the one that's like, hey, do, do, you know, do we have this? We have this. I couldn't find my passport. So I didn't want to ask him if he knew where his passport was because he want him to ask me, <laughs> like, do you got yours? So I never said anything. Found my passport. It's all good. We head to the airport. We dropped the kids at my parents and um, they're like, uh, oh, we, we try to do the self-check, you know, where you can print out the, the boarding pass and it wasn't working. So the, the attendant was like, oh, you know, let me go see what's going on. And she comes back to us and was like, oh, I know why your boarding pass isn't printing. Your, your passport is expired, not mine, his. I never turned around because he's behind me, right? So... <laughs> I'm like standing at the table. I can feel like the weight of the world on this man's shoulder. And he's just crushed. Like I literally felt oxygen release, like being sucked out of this man's body. And in a way you would say that's a quote unquote low EQ reaction. Like it was a very honest feeling of being disappointed, crushed, shocked, all the things, but it caused him to freeze. I'm thinking, we we go into the Caribbean. Uh, there has to be <laughs> a way. Is there? What's the next flight out? And in his mind, he's thinking it's over with. I've ruined the trip. We're not going anywhere. I screwed this up. And part of the EQ domains of like self regulation is being able to acknowledge the feeling, but be solution focused and goal oriented. And the goal was, I ain't going to be with these babies for for another four days. I'm I'm going to the Caribbean. And, you know, and he didn't realize that you can get an expedited passport. So they were like, the next flight out is, you know, whatever time. I was like, great, we'll head to the city because our flight was so early in the morning. It was like 5 a.m. or whatever. So I was like, we're going to go back to my parents, get go downtown, get it all done. But in that moment, he was like, you were so calm. And I'm like, and you so weren't. And so two of us could not like be imploding at the same time like somebody had to get us to the west indies and so he was like how did you and i said you have to be goal focused and go i'll figure out i'll figure this out now and i'll deal with the emotion later so um but yeah and 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 i totally could have gone low eq and, and cussed this dude out and like you ruined it for us but it wouldn't um it wouldn't have gotten us anywhere you know because at the end of the day the goal was also not just to to enjoy our uh, anniversary, but I wanted to enjoy him 
you know? And so I was like, we don't need to make this an issue between us. We can figure out how to deal with this conflict of an issue um, together. There's so much EQ in that answer where it, it's almost in that it sounded like you put other people before yourself. And that's part of EQ is like, like you said, I know yeah. he was upset and I, I wanted just to enjoy him. I knew I could have cussed someone out, but I didn't. I, I'm because, glad you said that. Yeah. Yep. Because I know what kind of husband I have and he's very sensitive. And that was like the, my, my thoughts go quickly, ADHD. So I was like connecting all the dots of like who I know him to be. Right. And I'm like, he's already doing to himself more than I could ever do. Like he's already like having all these negative self-talk. Why would I add to that? And if I say that I love this person, why would I make them feel worse than they already feel? So I'm glad that you, you, you said that. about Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure he he appreciates you for that. Oh, to this day. He knows. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Let's get into the final piece and then yeah. I'll close out with just a couple other things about your book because I want to make sure everybody gets a copy. We'll leave the uh, link in the show notes. But what tips do you have? Maybe two to three tips you might have around uh, improving your emotional intelligence at work. And let's talk about those tips that they're not getting from, again, all the dominant books, all the dominant ways of of, of conceptualizing this. Yeah. So one thing that I always start with was like an EQ question is like, how do I feel right now? And even though it sounds like a simple question, it's not so easy to do because depending on, and I I talk about it in the book, I can't remember what chapter it is. I want to say chapter six, but like emotional narratives, depending on how you learned about feelings, you may not be comfortable with naming or experiencing certain emotions. So if I go, hey, can you do a self-check-in and ask yourself how you're feeling? You may not know the words because you have limited emotional vocabulary. You may um, have experienced some type of trauma where maybe if it was sexual trauma or you know physical violence where your no was not honored. And so therefore you kind of feel like your voice wasn't heard, then sometimes it's hard for you to even trust the feelings that you're feeling. So simple question, not always easy, depending on your background. Um, Another tip is um, kind of going back to what we said earlier, like having high high EQ doesn't mean that you're emotionless or calm all the time. Um, I've been saying lately that you can have a low EQ moment, just make sure that you rebound with a high EQ response. So it's like, a low EQ. Sorry, can you say that again? Sure, sure. I, so that, that can, was fire. Okay, say it. Say it again. Okay, so if you have a low EQ reaction, make sure you rebound with a high EQ response. And what that looks like could be, particularly like in the workplace. So Latanya and I are in a meeting. Latanya is my boss. She cuts me off, or maybe dismisses an idea that I share. That's a low EQ reaction. You know, she's being very authoritative. She's dismissive, et cetera, et cetera. After the meeting, she calls me into her office and goes, Farah, I cut you off in the meeting. I'm sorry. I should not have done that. I'm overwhelmed. That has nothing to do with you. I apologize. Next meeting, I'll make sure that I address this, you know, in front of the team because you didn't deserve that. What is that going to do? It's going to increase my trust with Latanya, because I'm going to recognize that she 
not only is acknowledging the harm, but she's acknowledging uh, and and taking accountability for it and telling me what she's going to do and addressing the situation in a positive manner. So you can screw up in the beginning. We all have these feelings. I don't like saying positive or negative emotions. They're natural emotions. It's positive or negative reactions or responses to them. And if, if, if you can do that, it, it helps to save relationships um, and, and create better connection. Yeah, that is so important. And and I love how you you framed it as it doesn't have to be in the moment. It could be after. It could be it doesn't have to be an hour after or two hours after. It could be, you know, a day after um, or two days after. I mean, a week would yeah. be too long. But yeah, but yeah, it's like kind of framing that up and also pairing that with the other tip that you gave. How are you feeling? I mean, are you feeling like if you do this, are you feeling like a failure? Are you feeling like are you feeling you know, uncomfortable? Are you feeling mm -hmm. like judged? Um, are you feeling like a bad leader? But um, explore those before you go into it. I love that. Yes. Exploration all the way. <laughs> Great. Great. So that's all the questions that we have. So is there anything else you would like to share with, uh, with um, our listeners before I talk a little bit about your book and close? Um, yeah, that. I guess you can say it's a tip or, or something to walk away with is that, you know, there's no like finish line or, or, or zenith with high EQ. Like you don't take a class, read a book, <laughs> go to a couple of seminars and be like, oh, I am now highly emotionally intelligent. Uh, to that example, we're going to have low EQ reaction moments um, because it's just natural. You know, I joke around that I'm the walking Snickers commercial. Like I get hangry. So my, like when the sugar goes low, so does the EQ. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm short, I'm irritated, I'm all of the things, but it's, it's like a muscle. So as you're building your EQ muscle, just recognize that it's always an opportunity to practice just like patience, you know, go to the DMV, it'll, it'll test your patience, you know, so yes. you're is always being tested in every react, uh, interaction that you have. I'm sure we could all connect with that with, cause you know, I, when I get tired, my EQ falls down, falls by the wayside as well. All my partner tells me that all the time. So <laughs> it's good to have some self-awareness around that and not judge yourself. But this was, this was a phenomenal conversation, everyone. So if you want more, I highly recommend Farah's book, The Color of Emotional Intelligence. I purchased my copy on Amazon. I purchased it before I was supposed to. Um, uh, she did a, a, an impeccable book campaign and 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 launch. And so, but I but I have a special copy I learned today. So we'll make sure that that we, that Adam shares those uh, this book and the links to purchase in the show notes. So thanks everyone. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for the Leading Below the Surface podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our show notes, which includes tips, articles, and other resources. And one more thing I'll mention, please, please, please leave us a review, especially if you are someone who has listened to at least one episode. You could do that in the app of your choice. And while you're in there, don't forget to hit subscribe.